0: Hello from ABA Annual Meeting 2017 in New York City. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm William Hubbard. I'm Gerald Molloy. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us again in our continuing coverage of the ABA annual meeting here in the Big Apple. A special panel of guests today. So we're going to start to my left. I'm going to start uh, with Senator uh, Gerald Malloy joining us today from uh, the state of uh, South Carolina. That's correct. Excellent. And uh, you wanted to say that uh, you're an attorney first before being a senator. Is that correct? I am a, am a, a senator because I'm a lawyer, not a lawyer because I'm a senator. Excellent. Excellent. And we have a returning guest, William Hubbard, the former ABA president. We've had him on the air before. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. It's always good to be with you excellent so really excited about today you know this uh podcast came together completely by accident which is some of our best podcasts honestly and uh we were uh having a conversation actually not too far from where we're sitting right now uh, about the omnibus crime reduction and sentencing reform act of 2010. And so I just thought this was a terrific topic to, to cover, did some research on it. Obviously, I have some questions. So I wanted to uh, direct uh, my first question uh, to the senator. But before we do that, why don't we just learn a little bit more about your backgrounds? I know we had, you know, said a senator, we have got a uh, former ABA president, but maybe if you guys could tell us a little bit more about your practicing lives it'll be beneficial to our audience so who wants to go first well uh as as lawrence mentioned uh, i'm a former
1: president of the american bar association i'm back practicing full time now as a partner at nelson mullins riley and scarborough in columbia south carolina
0: excellent Senator. So I, I
2: live and practice law in Hartsville, South Carolina. I'm a former um, president of the trial lawyers, been a member of the American Bar Association for the duration of my time as, as a lawyer. And I've served in the Senate um, for 15 years. Uh, we have a citizen's legislature there, so I still have
0: a full-time practice in a very small practice. Excellent, excellent. So the Omnibus Crime Reduction and Sentencing Reform Act of 2010, let's let's get a general description as to what uh, what the intentions are behind that.
2: The Sentencing Reform Act came as a result of the criminal justice package that actually started in 2006. And so we were looking around in South Carolina as to what needed to be done to um, shore up our, our criminal justice system to end up making certain that we could um, that we could do better in our state. And so the overall goal was to ensure that we have prison space for high risk um, and violent offenders and make certain that we could also have a supervision for those offenders that were leaving prison and to also supervise those that were on probation and parole. So the end of the day um, storyline was that we want to get smart on crime. We want to reduce recidivism. want to provide a fair and effective um, sentencing options and employ what we call as evidence-based practices. And I think that it, it, it got bipartisan support because it had evidence-based practices and cost-saving measures. And so effectively, we want to make certain that we had a smarter use of our correctional funding and at the end of the day none of it works unless you improve public safety because you gotta make certain that our citizens are safe. And so there's a there's a back line to it as to where you are, whether you're gonna be a lock em up society or a rehabilitative society and how you're gonna end up making certain that you spend the prison dollars. And so keep in mind that in our in our country, in our state, the economy is is that politics is about prioritizing resources. What do you spend first? What do you spend second? What do you spend third? And so what we had to do was to come in and get the statistical data. I think that once you put the data together, you have a common focus in the beginning. I think that that will help you with some bipartisan support um, as far as moving along on any type of project. And I thought we then attacked our prison population, our sentencing
0: population, um, then with those goals in mind. Excellent. Excellent. So as I understand, uh, we've got some metrics. We're seven years in uh, to, to the act. Uh, it was voted in by, with bipartisan support. And what was the number on the bill? The,
2: the bill number was 1154. It was in 2010. My best recollection is, is that it passed the South Carolina Senate unanimously. Uh, we have a, a bicameral body. We have 46 um, senators and 124 House members. And I think it passed the House of Representatives with only um, three no, no votes. So overwhelmingly um, support in South Carolina at the time in 2010. And we're here now seven years later. So we're able to see some resor- results, see the things that we have done well and see the things that we need to further improve upon. And I think that uh, one of the things that the bill um, I wanted to do was that during his reign as president, we talked about that and we got information to him. So because it was one of the efforts that the ABA um, wanted to end up undertaking as well, and he was able to end up talking about it. I'm sure I let, let him talk about about that. But but essentially, we are now in cost savings of almost um, a half billion dollars, $491 million cost savings, one of the top five
0: in the country as it relates to the sentencing options. And we were, we were pretty much first or second. That's uh, that's amazing improvement. Uh, so, William, uh, these are the ABA goals, and they, they line up with what's going on in South Carolina. Let's talk a little bit more about that.
1: Well, uh, the ABA's real emphasis on sentencing re- reform came after... Uh, justice Kennedy gave a speech to the American Bar Association in the early 2000s, uh, and he talked about this issue of over-incarceration and the fairness of our criminal justice system. Uh, from that point, the criminal justice section of the ABA, the leadership of the ABA, has been trying to work on these kinds of improvements uh, and and uh, educate the public and, and opinion leaders and uh, legislators and policymakers about the advantages of taking a fresh look at the criminal justice system and trying to see if we could, as Senator Malloy said, use more evidence-based practices, uh, actually go more from facts and figures rather than gut uh, impressions about... Uh, how effective or ineffective certain criminal justice practices are. So uh, when I came in as ABA president in in uh, the summer of 2014, I knew this was something I wanted to put front and center in in, in my messaging uh, to the American legal system and, and to the public at large. And it was at that point that I was looking for specific examples of success stories uh, based on evidence, uh, based on research. And uh, it was so gratifying to me to know that in my own state of South Carolina, we had had led one of the more progressive movements in the country in criminal justice reform uh, that not only protects the public more, we see we see less recidivism now. We see a we've seen a downturn in crime, and we've seen the cost savings that that Senator Malloy mentioned. Uh, and so um, that was an example I used. It was Exhibit A in a lot of the messaging that I that that I put out during my year as ABA president. And I commend uh, Senator Malloy for his leadership role. Uh, What we see around the country, particularly among the states, is a a new realism about the criminal justice system. And and you're seeing uh, states that perhaps would be considered nationally to be very conservative, and you probably wouldn't expect to see those states leading the way. But Texas has also been a leader in addition to South Carolina and some other states in the South and around the country. Uh, But more and more, you're also seeing uh, conservative and progressive uh, think tanks and foundations agreeing uh, that this is a national problem that ne- we need to be smarter about addressing. Uh, and so, again, I, I commend Senator Malloy for his leadership in South Carolina, and I think he'll be able to outline specifically some of the, uh, the positive results that have inured to our state uh, now that we have this track record of about seven years of data uh, based on the foundation of this act in 2010.
0: So I want to build on that, uh, Senator. uh, You know, it's not often that you get, especially these days, that you get bipartisan support on a project that seems to work. And so what I wanted to do before we get into some of the results was talk about the factors that went into this bill. It seems to address the criminal, uh, not only just repeat offenders, but also seems to address, you know, what is contained within a crime that receives certain types of sentencing. And so I just wanted to kind of go through the factors that make this work.
2: Well, first of all, I think that um, when... um, it was new for us. And, and, and basically, we had to decide in the beginning that we want to have a bipartisan effort. And so I, I characterize it as such as take the p out of politics and put it into people, take the p <laughs> out of partisanship and put it into people. And so as a um, person who um, ran and served as a Democrat in a body that is um, um, overwhelmingly majority Republican, um, it showed the, the fact that, that our state wanted to end up working on a product. I come from a rural area, um, not from one of the urban areas, and, and I, I had practiced in this arena during my, my, my young career. So the essence was in, in 2009, when we started putting the data together, we had about 25,000 um, individuals um, incarcerated in the state of South Carolina. Um, during that time, probably we could go back to the early 80s when we had spent about 63 million on prison populations. Well, here's what we knew, that we knew that it was going to increase to more than 500%, get up to about 394 million. We knew that it was going to balloon in the next five years. We expected the population um, in the prison population by projection to go from about 25,000 to about 28,000. And because of the measures that we have placed in, And we'll get some jumping forward now is our prison population is less than 21,000 now. And the um, and basically we have closed six prisons in the state of South Carolina. We have a um, a young aggressive director um, named Brian Sterling who is who is working on this. and, And basically you're taking the nonviolence out of the system. What you do have is that you do have longer prison terms. And so, basically, you you have to work on the parole um, system in some effects. As far as those that are being revoked, basically, we put together administrative sanctions. Administrative sanctions keeps people from going back and forth into the courtroom because then you're occupying court times. So, this is a very holistic approach. It takes... Everybody coming to the table, not only from our court system, our law enforcement um, system, the victim system, the, um, the, um, the faith um, um, represented community, um, the um, prosecutors, solicitors, um, the public defenders, criminal defense lawyers. And, and then our, our leadership in South Carolina also got involved. I will never forget when um, then Governor Mark Sanford signed the bill in, into law who is now Congressman um, Sanford, um, that was in 2010. He looked at me and said, this is probably the most important piece of legislation that I'll sign during my tenure in the governor's office, but we won't know the full effect for 20 years. And so I I see now that we live in a society where we, in my view, over-incarcerate. And basically the most civilized country in the world is one of the highest incarcerated countries in the world. And so the thing is, is that we have to put together Um, measures that we'll end up paying for it. And so you look at the criminogenic factors, you got to put release mechanisms together as to how a person leaves the prison system. And so you want to make certain that you don't just give them a free ticket to nowhere and leave and get back out in the community. And so we don't want them that, you know, if, 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 if you knew someone that was there and you wanted to be able to support them, you know, you want them to be to get acclimated to it, coming back before they walk out on the, right at the very end and say, "You know, Lawrence, I need help," and and basically, you want to be able to help them in advance. So you want to get them trained, and so you know they need jobs. They need to make it certain that we can find ways that they can get integrated back in to help with that with that resolve. And I think that overall, we have some studies that have shown and and Bill and I probably. Um, sort of we we'll look at this report twice because it came from a Clemson professor, uh, but the Clemson professor showed us <laughs> where we're, we're, both, we're both South Carolina game, Gamecock um, supporters. But it showed the effect on the economy as it relates to those individuals that we have that we had by this act. And it's, it's well into the millions, it's like 30 some odd million dollars of economic impact. And this was back um, probably three or four years ago. And so we can see the, the measures. And, and, and the good news is, Lawrence, is that we're going to go through another round. Um, we, we just started. We have support from the Pew Center on the state's Pew Charitable Trust. They've been our professional group. They've done an outstanding job, but we're supported by our chief justice, um, our governor, and the leaders
0: in both, in both bodies. So one of the things that I appreciated about it was that uh, it seemed to increase penalties for violent crimes, which I know that's something that people are really concerned with. At the same time, decreased sentences for the nonviolent crimes. But I think one of my favorite elements about it is it put control into uh, the individual that maybe had a drug offense to get into a treatment program uh, and help them get out of the system earlier than they would otherwise right. would have done.
2: Well, I think that I think by and large, if you look at it, I think it was more so of a reclassification of crimes. And when we say that we're increasing penalties, um, not so much. The issue is, is that they're serving this, the, those that commit violent crimes, or those are the ones that are that are occupying prison space. One of the things that we have done is we've taken out the mandatory minimums, and so it gives because you know there's no situation where one size fit all. And so how, when many states have gone to decriminalization of Schedule One drugs and and others, you just keep in mind that we still have this this very large issue in our country. In the federalism aspect of it, because the Schedule Ones, I mean, marijuana is still a Schedule One drug. And yet and still we have many of our our sisters that are states, um, Washington, Oregon, um, Oregon, California, Colorado, that have allowed medicinal and recreational marijuana, Massachusetts as well. So you got three states right there together. And it is a lot of work that it takes in. In, in handling that. And so basically what we decided to do in South Carolina was we put together administrative type sanctions. We put a, a conditional discharge in so we could end up allowing first offenders to get a second chance. And you, you remember there used to be laws that if you pled guilty to any drug offense, you lose your driver's license. Well, let's think about what the nexus is of that. So it makes, it does not make a lot of sense. And so what we found is that there were drivers in our system like um, driving under suspension, um, more than second offense, was the number three incarcerated crime in the state of South Carolina, wow. non, non-alcohol related. Wow. And so, so you have to use those examples to see what are you doing to occupy the prison space. And so it's those type measures. As far as, as, far as violent crimes, make certain that you, that you have some flexibility on three strikes. And you make certain that the solicitors are able to prosecute the cases and make certain that they can get some relief to the county system as, as, as well. And the ultimate effect is, is that you're going to have those that commit violent crimes, particularly on people. Um, they're the ones that are serving time. Those that have property crimes and those others make certain that you have some flexibility as it relates to how you increase the values. And so that you can have
0: restitution so you can repay back to society. Well, great. That sounds terrific. It sounds like there's uh, a lot of planning that went into that and, uh, you know, look at cause and effect. And so we're beginning to run short on time. So I have, uh, this is my second to last question uh, for the both of you. So based on what we talked about today, the Omnibus Crime Reduction and Sentencing Reform Act of 2010, what final thoughts would you like to leave our listeners before we sign off today? William, why don't we start with you?
1: Well, I think the takeaway from all of this is that these kinds of reforms do work, and they're not being soft on crime; they're being smart on crime. Uh, when you have smarter sentencing policies, when you give judges more flexibility, one of the things the ABA has been concerned about and has been trying to get changes in federal law uh, to to do some give some modification to the mandatory minimum sentences, to give judges more flexibility, uh, and to employ uh, encourage. Uh, the federal government and the states to employ smarter practices for rehabilitation and and those kinds of things. In terms of resources, the American Bar Association Criminal Justice Section uh, and our uh, Office of Government Affairs have just mounds of material that can be sent to any listener who's interested in these kinds of reforms.
2: Senator Malloy? I think the takeaway um, in large part is cooperation and collaboration. Uh, I, I think that the, the one thing that we can say that there is a the partnership amongst lawyers and general assemblies and others is, is that, you know, the lawyers, um, um, the fact that I am a lawyer um, made me better able to lead this committee. The fact that I did have resources that I had um, gotten from seminars and conferences helped me to have an understanding of the criminal justice system. And I think that whenever we move forward, that our general assemblies, um, you know, we are the ones that make the laws. The lawyers are the ones that are, that, are, that are practicing by them. The judges are interpreting as to what happens whenever we go before them. So we all are all in this boat together. I don't know how we got here, but we're in there together now. And so it's about problem solving. And I think that when you put people together that's working for good, that we can then solve the problems that we have, put together solutions that are good for our state and for our country. And I think that this is an example to, to take the politics out of it to put evidence-based problem-solving ways in the front of it. I think that people of common sense that have
0: good intentions together can end up doing well in our states and in our country. I think that's well said. And just one last question for you guys. Uh, Obviously, our listeners might want to uh, follow with you. They might have some questions about what they've heard today. And uh, if they do, how can they contact you? Why don't we start with William? Well,
1: my name again is William Hubbard. I'm at Nelson Mullins Riley and Scarborough in Columbia, South Carolina. My email is william.hubbard at nelsonmullins.com.
2: Senator Malloy. I'm Gerald Malloy. My practice is Malloy Law Firm. It's in Hartsfield, South Carolina. 108 Cargill Way, or if you prefer a post office, post office box 1200. And my email address is gmalloy, M-A-L-L-O-Y at bellsouth.net.
0: And the telephone number is easy, 843 339 Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank our guests for joining us today and our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you've heard today, please rate us an Apple podcast. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network.